This is Money, Motivation, and Mike, and I am your host, Michael Wainwright. In charge of all the controls is our audio engineer, as always, Jason Wright. And hello to you, world. This is the podcast that will change your life. You can always find us at mx3.vip, or you can email us at info at mx3.vip. We have a very special guest here from Super Summit in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We're on location once again with Family Office Club, an interview that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. We have Michael Markowski with us. Thank you, Michael, for coming. Great to be here, Mike. Sir, I have been listening uh, to your your presentations, reading your information now for roughly nine months. I, I really got to spend a few moments with you. And whenever I say that, you were crowded by several, several people back in Los Angeles at a, at a super summit that the Family Office Club was happening. But before we get into all those things and what I'm, what I'm really here to talk about is some of your credentials of being involved in Wall Street for the last 46 years and how you've been featured in magazines such as Forbes and Fortune and Equities and Inc. and uh, been called uh, what I consider to be a guru of the Wall Street sector of finances in this world. And you've made some bold predictions. We've talked about some things that are going to happen in the future. Everything that you do is based on facts, not beliefs, not opinions, which I really, really enjoy. You are a visionary analyst, as you call yourself. And here we come into 2023 with some things that I believe are very, very important to our listening audience. And I would like for you to touch on what your thoughts are on your projections of 77% drop in the S&P 500 in 2023. Well, I'm just so you know, I'm I'm predicting my current prediction is a 77.3 percent percentage decline for the S&P 500 from the January peak, January 2022 peak, which uh, actually a year ago in December of 2021, I told the same audience at the Super Summit that the S&P 500 would peak in January of 2022 and would then decline until for at least eight years to decline to buy at least 45% to 80%. That's what I said at the last year's Super Summit. That's right. Okay. Uh, since then, I've also, um, I now, based upon further research, I'm predicting that along after this peak, during this peak occurring, this, this decline, this 77% trek to the bottom, the third U.S. Great Depression uh, since uh, 1929, will begin in the United States by the end of 23, early 24. The fourth quarter into the first quarter. Right, right. And you base that off of the things that happened in the first two Great Depressions in this country. Yeah. But before I get into that, I want to explain something because my career has been defined by looking at anomalies and strange events that occur in the market and doing research, empirical research on those events to learn more about the market. So I'm ultimately a student of the market. Absolutely. The day I die, I'll be a student of the market. So what happened is I, I, I joined Merrill Lynch out of college as a young 20-year-old many, many years ago, 1977. And I was so green that my manager stuck me in a delayed training program. And I was a, what I was is a gopher for an extra six months because I was so immature. Okay. <laughs> but he hired me 
So I get the coffee and, you know, and I do all kinds of things. I do the mail. I worked in the back room with the mail, all that stuff. So, you know, I had this job and my job was to, to rip out the tear sheets of the S&P 500. It would send tear sheets every 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 quarter for the company. So when the company's financials changed, there was no online back then. They would send you a tear sheet and the client would call us and ask for the copy of the tear sheet, which gave a summary on Apple or whatever it was, Apple computer, the trading and the financials, all that stuff. So one day I get these things and I was doing it all the time. One day I get this thing in the mail. It's a letter from S&P talking about the top 10 earnings performers over the previous 10 years from like 68 to 77 or something like that. Okay. Yes, sir. And I said, I looked at this thing and I said, what the hell does this have to do with the stock market? Because my father had, you know, taken me and I'd watch the ticker tape back then. I knew nothing about if there's any relationship, how you powder pick stocks. So I went into the library and they had listed the top 10 companies that were, had the best earnings performance. So I wonder how these stocks did over the 10 year period. So I had the research, I went in and I looked and I found that all of them, over the 10 year period multiplied by 15 to 25 times in price. Very strong. Okay, so then I said, hey, I'm gonna dedicate my career to finding these kind of opportunities for my clients as a 20 year old snot nosed kid. That's what I was dedicated my career. So what happened is, you know, I went on, I, I left Merrill Lynch because they didn't, they couldn't give me any more information that I, I need, I was thirsty to learn. I wanted to learn how to do this. Yes. Merrill Lynch couldn't help me. I went to another firm. They couldn't help me. I finally wound up at a brokerage firm called Donaldson, Lufkin and Jenneret, which was the house that research built. And they had the research. They enabled me to do the research. I actually got in their computers, did the research. And I figured out why there was a relationship between earnings growth and stock growth. And I found that the the revenues multiplied by the same amount as the stock. So if a stock went up 10 times over the period of time, the revenue went up 10 times. That's right. So then I said, well, okay, if that's the case, then I've got to focus my, I've got to focus find those kind of stocks. I wound up with a, going to another brokerage firm who I said, if that's the case, then I need to go to a small brokerage firm that's finding low, low price stocks. I mean, very early stage companies because a company at a million dollars in sales could grow to a hundred million easily, which is a hundred times versus a company at a hundred million in sales mm -hmm. may never grow to a billion dollars. So I said, oh, smaller is better. Makes sense. So I focused my life on that, identified a company that a company came to me, which was getting into adult daycare. It was a startup that I underwrote when I was on Wall Street. And I said to myself, and at that time, kinder care, kinder care was one of the stocks that I found for Merrill Lynch. It was a big business. Large franchise today, I believe. Yeah. After the war, housewives started to go to work finally in the 60s, and they had to do something with their kids. So the adult daycare business took off. And from 68 to 77, kinder care was one of those 10 stocks that I found when I was at Merrill Lynch that was one of the top earnings performers. So this guy comes to me, I said, he says, we're going into adult daycare. We're going to take care of the elderlies, okay? Elder, we're going to take care of, you know, we're going to become the daycare center. That's our business. And I said, that makes a lot of sense. It made that. So I said, okay, we'll fund it, okay? It was a $2 stock at the time. 
And that stock wound up going to hundreds of dollars a share. It was just acquired, merged with another company a few years ago. Yes, sir. But the shareholders that invested in that deal made a billion dollars. Okay. From me finding that, that deal, it was just logic from, from my original work. So what happened after that, I really became a, a really serious student of the market. So the next thing that happened is I left the brokerage business because, you know, I couldn't find the right mix uh, in the business. I found that Wall Street was very focused on commissions instead of on growth. There's a lot of people that still think that. Right, right. So, you know, if they can get a fee, they're, not, they're you know, they're going to they're going to trade you out of a stock. Sure. OK, that's going to go up multiply in value. OK, so I found that a firm that I wanted to create online information for investors. So I went out, created all the software. About a month after I had all the software finished, Enron crashes and burns in December of 2001. Enron was the Tesla in its day. It was considered to be the leading energy company. I mean, it was better than Exxon, Mobil, all that stuff. Right. So Enron, what happened is the stock reached an all-time high in June of 2001 of $60 a share. And by December, it was out of business. It went bankrupt in December of, of 2001. And there was 27 Wall Street buy recommendations. 27 analysts on Wall Street had buys and not one had a sell. So I said, hey, that's crazy. So what the hell's going on here? That what was even worse is I looked at the earnings and the earnings, they had record earnings per share mm-hmm. in June and that quarter in September for the last two quarters. They were reporting. So I went in, did an autopsy on Enron and I went through the financials and I found out what killed it. Okay. Yes, sir. Financial statements. And then what I did is I took that and I, I back tested it and I found there was Hundreds of other companies that had died previously for the same cause of death, including Sunbeam, was one of them, uh, the, the appliance manufacturer. Right. Okay. So then what happened next is I created an algorithm that would identify companies in the future that would have the same, what I call the EPS syndrome. Okay. It was the earnings per share syndrome. And uh, I set an algorithm. And lo and behold, in 2007, um, all of the Wall Street brokers had the EPS syndrome. Okay. <laughs> Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. There was another one, Bear Stearns. Then I came out and I wrote an article for Equities Magazine telling all of my readers to get out of these four or five stocks. Okay. All okay. of them. They're, I said, the day of reckoning is coming. These stocks are going to collapse. It's right in my article. You can find it on one of my websites, that article, if you want to read it. But that what happened next is the stocks continue to go up. So I continue to put out warnings on them. And I said, get out of these stocks. You're, they're danger, 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 danger. And we all know what happened. Sure. Okay? Within a year, they all had basically crashed. And, you know, all had to be either they all went out of business or had to be rescued by somebody. All five of them. Okay. So that's what happened. So, so then what happened after that? But which ends up being the crash of 2008. Yeah, the crash of 2008. So unknowingly, I predicted, I, I definitely predicted the cause of the of the Great Recession. Sure. Okay. I didn't say it was going to be a Great Recession. I just knew these five stocks were going to collapse. Okay. And they did. So the next thing that I did after that is we fast forward now to two, early 2016. And the Bank of Japan 
comes out and announces that they're going to adopt negative interest rates. And I was very concerned because I had a bunch of followers, subscribers, that this would cause a collapse of the world markets, these negative interest rates, the NERPs back then. So I, I decided I jumped in and I did my empirical research of all market crashes in the U.S. dating back throughout history. And I identified what the signal is that would indicate that there's a crash. Okay. Okay. And identified that. I developed the, I found the signal, developed an algorithm to predict it. And lo and behold, three months later, after Brexit, the signal goes off and says the market's going to crash. And sure enough, the market, the S&P crashed after Brexit. Right. Okay. So then after that, you know, after, after President Trump was elected and the interest rates went back down and there were ne- then the, the negative rates were no longer a big issue, I then put the, back, the algorithm on the back burner and thought it's no big deal. And then what happened is President Trump then instituted tariffs in, in early 2018. Correct. And that caused a big crash of the market. So, you know, I said, you know what? I need to take this algorithm and go see. And sure enough, it predicted the crash of 2018, the algorithm, um, the same algorithm. So then I converted that into a trend trader and also use it for predicting crashes. And with it, I've predicted all the crashes since so i've predicted with one with my two algorithms i've predicted all the crashes and major corrections for the s&p 500 since 2008 starting with 1977 a degreed coffee snatcher if you will turns into where we are today now you said the federal government has made some mistakes in early 2021 the Fed, the, the, so you understand the Federal Reserve Bank, I'm not talking about federal government. So I consider myself to be probably one of the experts on secular markets out there. Um, well, not only do you consider yourself, a whole lot of other people do too. Right, right. So I've done the research and secular is important because the stock market has a tendency since 1803, it has a, it has a tendency to, it, it, once it starts going up, from a bottom, it will go up for a minimum of eight to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it doesn't stop after it, after it hits, reaches bottom and goes, up, goes, starts going up for the third year. It's not going to turn around and go back. It's going to go up for eight to th- 20 years. Yes, okay. Sir. That's what I found in my research dating back to 1803. I found it also works in reverse. Once a stock market peaks and starts going down, it's going to go down for eight to 20 years. So the market is secular. It's what call it a secular market. So it's long-term uptrends followed by long-term downtrends. And in the downtrends, all the profits are given back that you made in the prior. It's just human nature. Okay. People become at the top. And during a bull market, people become less fearful mm. and greedy. That's right. Okay. And that basically it sets them up to lose all their money in the next downturn. Okay. Yes, sir. That's the way it works. I actually, I'm very concerned about this, this issue because we're set up right now. We're now in a secular bear and I'm projecting, and by the way, on a secular bear, the market goes down, but all, and all secular bears in the past, the market's gone down between 47 and 85%. So the market's going to go down by 47 to 85%, according to the rules for the secular bear. 
that's that's that been underway since January that I predicted would happen in Jan in, in December a year ago. Yes, sir. So so we're now into a secular bear. The other part about the secular bulls and bears is it generally takes uh, years and years for the bull to reach its high. I'm projecting that the S and P 500 will not exceed its January 2022 high until the middle of probably 2035. Okay, so. Most people practice buy and hold strategy. It doesn't work, you know, and you really need to become educated about this. Yes. Buy and hold strategy. But so let's switch back now. But but you're pro- projecting that it's going to take 13 years to match what happened last January. I'm saying this is January. An additional this, 13 years. This January that we're in, we're in December right now. It's going to take a minimum, there could be 20 years, okay, before the market gets back to the high. Okay. But at least 2035. Yeah. Yes, sir. 2035. But that's a, that's a separate thing. So what happened is I did all this research. I wanted to predict the top of the secular bull. So I spent an unbelievable amount of time, months and months doing the research. So I went back and looked at all the secular bulls and bears dating back for the S&P 500 1871. And I got access to the data. I found that there's a relationship between inflation and the S&P 500 peaks and troughs. So I found that the inflation has a negative impact on the S&P 500, has since inception. And the S&P, so what, what happens is based upon my inflation research, dating back, I researched inflation and the S&P 500 dating back to 1871, and I found that when inflation comes in, the S&P 500's dividend yield, its nominal yield is no longer positive. So I'll give you an example, okay? If inflation is at 8% and the S&P 500's dividend is 4%, it really has a negative 4% yield. The real yield's a negative 4%, okay? So what happens is the S&P 500 always reverts to where the yield becomes positive. So if the S&P 500 is, you know, needs to go down by 50% for the yield to go positive, because remember, it's the dividend divided by the indicator, okay, is what you're talking about here. Okay. So if the S&P is trading at 5,000 and the dividend is 500, that's a 10% yield, okay? Right. The annual dividend's 500. Right. So based upon that, I'm saying now that the S&P... I'm projecting the S&P will go down 77.36% from the high of January. Remember, I said in secular bears, it goes down between 47 and 85%. I'm pinpointing now, stating, because of my work on on this secular bear and my research of the S&P 500, I'm looking for a 77.36% decline. And I adjust this based upon the yields every month. Uh, but it, it's just what, that's what we're looking for, 77.36%. <laughs> And 77.36 to, to the percentage, to the hundredth percent, that is a pretty strong indication, meaning, meaning that you've done a lot of research. It's not going to be between 80 and 85 or 70 and 75, 77.36. Yeah. Well, I think that you brought up a very important point. My predictions are all based upon mathematics. Absolutely. Okay. I don't, <clears throat> somebody said to me the other day, what do you think of cryptocurrency? I said, I don't have an opinion. If I don't have the data, I don't have an opinion. Information. In other words, I'm not. I, I've I've made my career at using data, 
to make predictions. Okay. The very first, the very first time I I heard you, that's what caught my attention. Not necessarily all the information at that time, but what I'm fixing to tell you is based on facts, not my opinion, not my thoughts, not my beliefs, based on facts. Me being a numbers guy, I caught on to that. And I don't know, and everybody else in the room did too. That's why it made them mad. Because you were telling them something they didn't want to hear. Absolutely. Yes. A bunch yeah. of optimists <laughs> that were being told. Yeah, yeah. Some- Everybody, look, the hardest <clears throat> thing for people to accept is that their assets are going to decline. That's right. And they'll fight it. And by the way, your financial advisor, that's another thats another bone that I could pick. Okay. <laughs> your financial advisor who's paid a fee based upon the assets you have with them, they're never going to tell you to get out. Yes. Because if they get a 2% fee on the assets that you have, if they tell you to get out and go into cash, they can't charge the fee anymore. Okay. So, so the bottom line is, is that the whole system is set up for you to lose your tail. Okay. On a, in, a, in a declining market is what the problem is. So yeah, th- that's the way it works. So I want to explain <clears throat> this to you. And I have another algorithm. I predicted the crash of 2020, by the way. Okay. And I also found that the S&P's dividend yield this, this year went negative in 2019, in December of 2019. Yes, sir. Which coincided. But at that time, back in March of 2020, I predicted, based upon my, again, research of data, uh, because of the volatility of the decline, I went back and researched all prior declines. And I found that the S, based upon the velocity of the first five days that this market peaked, the peak market peaked in February of 2020, I then predicted that the market would decline by 34.6%, and it would do so by Easter, okay, of 2020, based upon my past research. And, and that's how, that's, and, and exactly, the market went exactly to 34%. As I said, it would. And at that point, my other algorithm kicked in and said, hey, the market's a buy. And I put out a buy on the market at the exact precise bottom in March in, uh, March 23rd of 2020. So I go to the decimal point on my predictions is what I do because it's all based upon the math. That's right. And that's how you can go to the 100th percent. A couple of more things, Michael, as we talked about off the air, we could talk about this stuff for hours which is going to allow you to come back on our show sometime in the near future uh, and and hopefully on a regular basis throughout 2023. And as we go through and live what what the uh, numbers are saying, I'm not even going to say it's projection, what the numbers are saying that's fixing to happen. Mm -hmm. There's a couple other things I just want to touch on. In 1928, the Federal Reserve made a, a mistake that led us into the Great Depression number two in 1929. What was that mistake? Pet made policy errors. In 1928, well, let's first of all, let's talk about the first Great Depression. Okay. In 1919, they made a policy error and that they raised rates during the middle of a recession. And that tipped the, that, that put the economy into a depression, the first Great Depression. And it was much more severe, but it was a quick depression. Then the second Great Depression, which was 19, started in 1929. It went for virtually 10 years. No, no. The first one was only a, th- no. a two, three year. The 1929. The 1929, yes. right. Right. was much more severe. <clears throat> That's right. What they did in 1929 is they raised interest rate in a deflationary environment, which created a spike, a bubble high for the S&P 500. 
1928. And that drove the S&P to extreme multiples. They overvalued the S&P 500, the whole stock market, with their policy errors between 1927 and 1928. And what happened when the S&P 500 declined, the initial decline, it was still so high that no one would buy it. Okay, it was still at a ridiculously high multiple, mm-hmm. price to earnings multiple, and then it it rolled over, okay, and then it went declined within within a year or two by eighty some odd percent, eighty five percent from the peak, okay. Yes, sir. So they repeated both of those mistakes, both of those mistakes in twenty and twenty one, okay. Yes, sir. And, and I talk about that. You know, I have a you know the the presentation that you that you viewed or on my website. Yes, sir. That and you it, can watch that. That explains it better. I don't want to get into the, it's, it's hard to talk about that's it. That's right. Have some visuals. That's right. To, to, to give it, give the audience uh, that website. Alpha tag, www.alphatac, A-L-P-H-A-T-A-C-K.com. Now, why is it called Alpha tag? Alpha Tech was, was established by me because we're, what we specialize is growing assets against the wind. Which is kind of your motto. Right. And growing assets against the wind because there's going to be tough times. As I said, we're in a secular bear. Market's going to crash. There are the strategies that you need to deploy during right now. You need to be deploying these strategies. And that's what we focus on, defensive strategies to enable your portfolio to grow and a down market and a declining market, which, which, which we're currently in or going to continue to be in until 2030. The reason why it's called Alpha Tack is a sailboat can go across the ocean against the wind by tacking. Okay. That's why we came up with the name. Okay. Michael, are you a real sailor or just a sailor in the financial sector? <laughs> I'm, I'm both. Okay. Fantastic. You get on your sailboat and make these predictions. Is that <laughs> right? <laughs> Obviously, the, the listening audience, as well as everybody, and we have a lot of uh, intelligent listeners, they can go to alphatech.com, become a subscriber of your of your information, and, and get to listen and, and read and see the things that you talk about on a daily basis. So we will encourage everyone to go do that. My last thoughts, and I'd like to get your, your, your final opinion on this, and we'll wrap it up. Is it ironic that over the last couple of months, one of the largest things that we have been talking about in this nation is interest rates going up? And we had an interest rate, I think, of a half a point yesterday mm-hmm. and how it has uh, crippled the real estate market at the current moment. Mm-hmm. Now, this kind of goes in line with what the areas that you talked about in the past. And here we are a year away from your prediction of the Great Depression of 2023. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of find that ironic. Yeah, yeah. Once again, uh, Michael Markowski, I've been very privileged to get to know you over the last uh, the last three quarters of the year. <clears throat> I find your information phenomenal. Your comments uh, caught my attention from the very first time I got I've got to hear you. I've been following your information. It's it's phenomenal stuff. AlphaTag.com. You need to go check it out. This is the kind of information that we continue to bring you on Money, Motivation, and Mike. Michael will, uh, at, at his request, and hopefully often, will be back on our show many, many times in the future. And obviously, over the next 15 months, we want to see how all this turns out. And now you've been forewarned, Nation, that you need to get yourself prepared for what's going on in the coming year. And don't get caught with your pants down and in a position to where you lose all your assets that you've been working on for all your life. 
it would be a shame to have to start back over it after you didn't do what you've already been warned not to do. Michael, thank you for being on the show. We look forward to seeing you in the future. And until next time, live your life the right way.